So today we return to our study in the book of Genesis. I'm covering mainly chapter 43, but in order to put this in some proper context so it'll make more sense, I'm going to encourage our sermon audio listeners, if you've not done so, to please read, go back and reread chapter 41 and read all of chapter 42, because that's an important backdrop to this message. I'll just do a very quick summary of chapter 42, because what happens is we, we talked about this a little bit last time. There's this major famine that has broken out over that part of the world and Egypt and Canaan, which is the modern-day state of Israel. And uh, Joseph being exalted to the high position he became in Egypt and storing the, uh, the food for the Egyptians and everybody else, word finally gets over to Canaan and specifically to Jacob Israel and the, the people who actually make up the Israelites at that time in that early stage that there's food to be had in Egypt because they're starving too. And so he tells his sons, these brothers who sold Joseph into slavery so many years earlier, to get themselves over to Egypt and get some food so they won't starve to death. But he says, I don't want you to take Benjamin with you, their youngest brother, because he not only is the youngest, but he's the beloved son of his beloved wife, Rachel, who has died by this point. So they go to Egypt, and they don't realize that Joseph is the big shot man, to put it in rather vernacular terms. He's become this high exalted ruler, and they don't realize that's who he is. But he recognizes them. And so again, I urge you to read what happens in chapter 42, but what happens is that when Joseph sees them, he decides, I need to see if these people have learned anything since what they did to me. And so he sort of plays a game with them in one sense, in that he accuses them of being spies from Canaan. They, of course, deny that. And he says, okay, then you're going to need to go back and bring me proof that you're not spies. And just as sort of a, uh, a guarantee, I'm going to keep one of you here. I'm going to choose that guy. And it happens to be Simeon, who is the youngest among them. And while he's, they're all together worrying about what in the world they're going to do, he grabs Simeon, binds him, and takes him out of the room and says, okay, you go back to your father and tell him what's happened. And uh, by the way, here is some grain you can take back with you. I'm collapsing a lot of this together. What they don't know is that Joseph has arranged for the money that they paid for the grain to be put back in the sacks. Anyway, they get back to Jacob and they explain to him what happened. And he says that they have to now take Benjamin back with them to prove that they're not spies. And of course, Jacob goes crazy because that's the last thing he doesn't want to happen. But anyway, they convince him, and they do it because that's the way it's going to be. And at a certain point in chapter 42, the text indicates that they have finally come to terms with with their guilt. And they're they're thinking, what is going on here? We've been accused of this. Now we've lost Simeon. Now we've got to take Benjamin. We've got this money in our sacks that we paid for this that's going to look bad for us. And it suddenly dawns on them. The Lord is bringing judgment against them for what they did to Joseph so many years earlier. And they still don't realize that the man they've been interacting with, is Joseph. And so we'll, we'll pick up the message here, and I'm going to be referring to different verses in chapter 43, which is the main focus. And I'm using this text of chapter 43 of Genesis to talk about the marks of a faithful church and specifically faithful church members. One of the most striking things that, that many people come to realize after studying the Older Testament is that the basics of God's plan of redemption are essentially the same as they are in the New Testament. 
Now, there are many people who have only a passing acquaintance with the Word of God. They, they mistakenly assume that the church is exclusively a New Testament institution and that it has actually nothing or very little to do with the Older Testament. That is a popular misconception. Now, let me tell you why it's popular. It's popular mainly because of the horrible influence. And I'm not backing away from that description, friends. It is and was and continues to be a horrible influence of the Schofield Reference Bible and the heretical dispensational theology it promotes. But the Word of God teaches the opposite, the precise opposite of the Schofield theology system. The word church is actually a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, where we get the term ecclesiastical. And literally, it means a separated assembly or a gathered people. In this case, the gathered people, the assembly of God's people. Now, that same Greek word is itself a translation of the older Hebrew word that means exactly or essentially the same thing. So then whenever in the Older Testament we're reading about the called out, gathered people of God, the people of Israel, we're reading about the Older Testament church. Now, to be sure... It is the older covenant version of the church. It is the church as it existed before the time of Jesus, but it is no less the church of God. And that is why when we study the lives of men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, we who are the new covenant people of God by His grace can learn about what it means to be a part of God's covenant family from them. What it means for us as a congregation as a denomination in the Bible Presbyterian Church, General Synod, and as individual believers in Christ. And based on this reading today, I'd like for us to consider five things that are essential ingredients of being a faithful member of the household of the Lord. In other words, that's what creates faithful churches. Now, there are five of these things. I'm going to mention two specifically, and then I'm going to sort of group the final three together. Here's the first. The first ingredient or mark is responsibility. Responsibility. If you refer to verses 1 through 15 of Genesis 43, you see this being reflected in what's taking place there. If we are going to be a part of God's working in this world, then we've got to demonstrate a sense of responsibility. Now, in the first part of these verses, we see that Jacob's son Judah has convinced the old man to let the brothers take young Benjamin back to Egypt with them. That's the condition that Joseph put on them, that if you want your brother Simeon back, and if you want to prove to me that I shouldn't come after you and kill you all because you're spies, then you go back and you tell your father you've got to bring Benjamin back. That's what we learned in chapter 42. Now, Reuben initially tried to do that, the, the brother Reuben, but he wasn't successful. But now things are rather different. Jacob realizes that he's got two choices. Their father, Israel, has two choices. He can keep Benjamin at home and watch him starve to death, or he can accept the truthfulness of Judah's plea in these first 15 verses. Now, if you look at verse 9, you see the seriousness of the oath that Judah binds himself to if he fails to bring Benjamin back. In the New King James, it reads this way, I myself will be surety for him, from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So he declares that he will be responsible. He's guaranteeing 
his brother's safe return. So that man, Judah, whose family line, by the way, will be the one from which Jesus of Nazareth is eventually born, he's willing to take on the responsibility of his brother's safety. And ultimately, the well-being of his entire family. Judah made that offer because he was convinced that going to Egypt for food was the only way for the covenant family to survive the famine. And in verse 8, Judah tells Jacob that if he refuses to send Benjamin, that Jacob himself will not survive. And so Judah is thereby calling upon his father to trust God, to work out their deliverance, and trust Judah's leadership. And let's understand, my friends, that in this we are witnessing a major change in the attitude of Judah and his brothers here. Because when Judah made himself responsible for his younger brother Benjamin's well-being, it shows that he had indeed adopted a concern, a responsibility for his father's happiness. Now for that man, this is an about face if there ever was one. And we see that this had the desired impact on Jacob. He agrees to let Benjamin go. So in other words, Jacob Israel was now willing to sacrifice his son for the welfare of the covenant family of God, the church, in other words, if that's what it took. And we see in verse 14 that Jacob commits his entire family, not just the offspring of his beloved Rachel, but all his sons to the care of and literally in the Hebrew, the care of El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now, it's interesting that we have run across this particular covenant name for God before in the book of Genesis. Back in Genesis 17, the Lord revealed himself to Abraham by that name, El Shaddai. It is a typical name by which God revealed himself in the older covenant. It's the name that stresses God's power to do everything that he promises. It is the name of comfort. The very name itself teaches us that our God, Yahweh, cannot be stopped from accomplishing His divine will. So then, the first mark of a faithful church and church members is responsibility. But then secondly, if you refer again to verses 16 through 25, you see the next is honesty. Being honest and forthright. As soon as the brothers arrive back in Egypt, they're taken to Joseph's mansion for this magnificent feast. And I have to believe this made them rather, we would say, paranoid, very worried. Because they feared this might be some kind of trap. That it had something to do with all that money they'd found in their bags of grain. So they feared that once inside Joseph's house, they would be captured and they themselves sold into slavery. Now, this is speculation on my part, but I have to imagine that that's what Joseph wanted them to think. I think he's concerned that they deal honestly with what they had done with him. And he probably wanted to see what they would do about that money that he had secretly returned to them. But the brothers, unlike the older times, now proved themselves to be honest men. They immediately told the truth about the money. They realized that their lives depended on an honest accounting of what they had. And in this little conversation with the Egyptian steward that we read in those verses, we see, I believe, a representation of the mercy and grace of God. Notice again the words of the house servant after the brothers have told him the truth about the money. Keep in mind, this is a pagan speaking to them. Look at verse 23 of Genesis 43. But the, the house servant said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks, in your bags. I had your money. Then he brought out Simeon to them. 
Now, on the surface, that answer ought to have made them feel a whole lot better about things. I think it would me, but again, this is speculation, but I think it made them feel a little more uncomfortable and confused. Because, as I mentioned earlier, they, they, they've already begun to feel guilty, according to the text, about what they'd done to Joseph. They're now fully aware of how wrong they had been when they sold Joseph into slavery, when they plotted to kill him, and now here is a stranger telling them that their God is blessing them with peace and abundance. That is indeed the incredible message of the gospel, my friends. The truth that while we are guilty sinners before God, His guiding hand is nonetheless at work in our lives. He has given us the treasure of abundant life. When what we deserved all along was abundant death. Here is the great mystery of God's love and grace, and all summed up for us in the words of an Egyptian house servant. Peace, God has given you treasure, even though you don't deserve it. All right, so in these verses we see that the mark of a faithful covenant member are so far are uh, responsibility and honesty. And I mentioned at the beginning, I'm going to group these last three together. They are unity, a, a, a unified common purpose and agreement, then belief, right belief or doctrine, and then gratitude. Those three, unity, belief, and gratitude. So we do see there's unity among these brothers. They had come to Egypt not only to buy food, but also to retrieve their brother Simeon, who, as I mentioned, and as I mentioned in the previous chapter, had been grabbed by Joseph as sort of a for a ransom, so to speak. He's languishing in jail, and they did rescue him. Now, you think about it, they, they could have taken the attitude, well, you know, he's only one out of 12, and that's one less mouth for us to feed during a famine. Why don't we just forget about him? But they didn't do that. They knew that Simeon was as much part of their covenant family as any other, and they sought him out, and they rescued him. Let me suggest to you, friends, that we need to remember there are no non-essential church members. The church isn't like our corrupt federal government in Washington. You know, when they, these government, government crooks, they say, well, you know, we've got to lay off a bunch of non-essential workers because of a budget dispute or some such thing as that. Well, if they're non-essential workers, why were they hired to begin with? See, the church is different because each of us have abilities that if we use them, in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all essential to the mission of the covenant kingdom of God. So the brothers here are finally brought into the presence of Joseph, as we read it there. And they bow before him in respect, still unaware that they are fulfilling the very dream that God had given to Joseph when he was a young man. Remember? And I dreamed that everybody in the family bowed before me. And now we need to understand that Joseph, he's throwing this big feast and this big party for his brothers, not simply to be nice, not as a nice gesture. Now, I think this is also part of testing them. He wants to see if they're going to treat Benjamin, his blood brother, just like they treated him. Will they charge Benjamin with having stolen that money? Maybe will they get jealous of him because he gets served five times more food than they do? We read here how Joseph inquired about his father Jacob, and then he focuses attention on Benjamin. 
And notice the very first word out of Joseph's mouth to his brother Benjamin. What is the first word? Look at verse 29, at least in the New King James Version. Then Joseph lifted his eyes. He saw his brother Benjamin, verse 29, his mother's son. So Rachel was his mother too. And he said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said to him, God be gracious to you, my son. The first word, God, the first word he speaks to his brothers. And we see in verses 30 to 31, if you'll look at them again, the emotional upheaval that this has on him. It, it says there that he's overcome with emotion and he, he has to leave the room because he doesn't want them to see him sobbing. He's so moved by this entire thing, and especially in seeing his brother Benjamin. And finally, they sit down to this big feast, and the brothers must have been rather nervous about this. I mean, for one thing, they'd never dined in the home of an Egyptian before, of any uh, place on the social scale, but this guy is like the number two man in the whole country. Uh, and I've tried to come up with a, uh, an analogy. It would be like you or me, say, being asked to just sort of sight unseen. You've got an invitation to dine with the Queen of England or the Emperor of Japan, you know, and you don't really know anything. You, you don't know the people personally except by reputation, and they're pretty, you know, way, way up there. And uh, you don't know anything about the customs or the habits or the food. I think most of us would be rather nervous about the protocols and the strange customs and the eating habits if we were invited to do such a thing. Now, the, the most unsettling thing, though, about this feast was that the brothers are all seated according to the ages of the oldest to the youngest. I mean, they must have felt the earth move from under their feet when here's this, to them, unknown Egyptian who just happens to seat them chronologically according to age. I mean, that's just a little bit too much of a mere coincidence, isn't it? And then we see Benjamin is being given five times more food than they. So, do you see how Joseph is testing these men? These were the same men who so resented him and his dreams and his beautiful coat of many colors that they plotted to kill him. These are the same men whose jealousy drove them to sell him into slavery. And unbeknownst to them, Joseph himself is providing them all the opportunity they need to show the same jealousy and resentment toward his blood brother, Benjamin. But something... Something has changed now. The text says in verse 38 that instead of seething with envy, the brothers drank and made merry with Joseph. They had no resentment toward the obvious favoritism shown their younger brother. They were all just happy to be together, to be alive, to be eating their fill in the house of a man that they didn't even think they knew, but who was in truth their own brother. The very brother they had plotted to kill and then sold into slavery. I think this feast recalls another time in their lives when they did set, sit down to eat together, and they were united at that point too. Remember verses 30, 20, excuse me, 23 to 25 in chapter 37? And Joseph was present at that feast, but maybe not quite in the same way. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, the pit was empty, there was no water in it, and they sat down to a meal. Remember that? The situation at this meal here is very different than the one so many years earlier, isn't it? And these brothers have now changed. 
And the Lord uses the misfortune of Joseph and of his brothers and their hatred to bring about this change. In all of this, they have come to recognize that the Lord was at work in these unusual events. And this is then where we see the characteristic of belief or correct understanding of the providence of God. There's different ways you can play. I'm using the word belief here. The brothers have faith that the God of their father Jacob is watching over them and guiding them to safety. And that produces then, I think, the, the fifth and final mark of a faithful church or faithful church member, and that is gratitude. Look again at verse 34. I'm going to read this from the New Jerusalem Bible translation. He had portions carried to them from his own dish, the portion for Benjamin being five times larger than any of the others. And they feasted with him, meaning Joseph, and they drank freely. So it's worth noting here, some translations have it that they made merry with him, that, or, or that they feasted with him. And interestingly, the more literal translation, and some of the translations to put it this way, they all got drunk with him. So even though Benjamin got more than they did, they showed gratitude. And they did that by rejoicing and enjoying their meal together. They were thankful for what they had received, and if Benjamin got more than they, well, good for him. Friends, as we bring this study to a close, and as we prepare to depart this place today, I would ask you to think about the essential ingredients of being a faithful church member and of being a faithful church broadly. Responsibility to our God. Honesty with, each, with ourselves and with each other. United in a common bond of love and faith and a commitment to God's law. Belief in Yahweh as the sovereign Lord of all things and gratitude to the Lord for His mercy and grace in giving us all the things that we have. Let us pray.